Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, another beautiful spring day, and we have some beautiful topics to cover here. Fantastic financial stuff. We do. We do. We're going to start off, you know, one of the topics is HSA myths. There's a lot of uh, confusion around health savings accounts and, uh, you know, what you can do with them. But we've said many times, you know, it is the best tax advantage vehicle on the planet. So you really need to understand these. We're going to dig into some details this morning and, and bust some of those myths that are out there about HSAs. So you want to listen to that. Yeah, and we're going to follow up with a good discussion from uh, Chris Hogan on the Ramsey organization talking about middle-class millionaires. They did a recent study. He's got a great book out. And um, it's kind of surprising when, when they went through and interviewed all these folks. Um, you know, they, there were some trends that came out of that. And uh, it gives, you know, folks, uh, you know, that don't think they can get there, it gives them some hope and a process associated with it. So we'll dive into that topic and uh, kind of go, go deep on it. Yeah, that will be great. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen to them directly from your computer. You can also download it on iTunes, a lot of different ways to listen to the podcast. We have a uh, on the website, um, we have a lot of videos, a lot of calculators, a lot of tools. Check that out, Facebook page and Twitter as well. Yeah, a lot of tools, uh, a lot of ways to listen to the money doctors, so... You want to use those. And also, if you want to email us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Census Bureau. And, Steve, we hear that uh, small businesses are the backbone of America, and they really are. 76% of U.S. businesses are one-person self-employed entities. They have no other, They have no additional employees 76%, about 90% wow. are small businesses, right? So you hear about the large companies out there, the IBMs, the GEs of the world, and they employ a lot of folks, but um, you know, most businesses, entities are, are one-person shop, and um, you know, some of them have a couple of employees. But that's why when you start talking about taxing businesses and so forth, you got to be careful because you can really ruin the economy if you don't handle this segment correctly. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there are a lot of people that have small businesses, you know, that, like you said, that are self-employed, only one person in the business. And, you know, if you're in that category, you need to make sure you're taking advantage of all the retirement plan opportunities you have, because a SEP IRA fits that kind of situation mm, like a glove. Very well. Very well, you know, and you can put away like up to 25% of your income in a retirement plan um, that you're making from that business. So, Something you need to look into, um, you know, and there's some other things too, you know, insurance and things that you you can take advantage of and, and writing off business, writing off expenses. So, um, you know, give us a call if we can help with that. But that's a great fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic, and that is HSA myths. Um, yeah, this is an, from an article out of Bottom Line, uh, Roy um, Rantham, who's the president of HSA Consulting Services, very recent article. But, John, you know, we talked about health savings accounts many times here on the show and about how they are the best tax-advantaged investment account 
on the planet, on planet Earth. Um, you know, honestly, you know, as long as you have a qualifying health plan, money you put in gets a full tax deduction, regardless of your income level. Then it grows tax-free, and you can take it out tax-free anytime you want for medical expenses down the road. So it's kind of a combination of a medical IRA with the tax-free Roth benefits. Yeah, it's super. Doesn't get any better than that. So you want to take advantage of that if you can. And, you know, as simple as that sounds, though, there is a lot of confusion about HSA accounts. I mean, for instance, I've talked to a couple people here in just the past couple weeks who have plenty of cash flow. However, they're taking money out of their HSA accounts for their medical expenses each year to pay for deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. And I know you're probably saying to yourself, well, Steve, I mean, that's what an HSA is for, right? And you're right. It can be. It it is. It is. I mean, that's the way it was designed. But you don't have to use it that way. I mean, think about it. If the money grows tax-free forever, um, and if it's invested properly, then you can take that money out anytime you want down the road for those past medical expenses. So why would you take it out right now? You know, if you got money in other other places, like mm-hmm. your savings account, that you can pay those medical expenses for, let that money stay in there and continue to grow tax-free. Um, and then just pay those medical expenses out of your pocket, file the receipt, and, you know, keep that those precious HSA funds intact um, and growing tax-free until many years down the road. So that's the tax-free growth that will make you thousands of dollars more um, over the next 20 years, if you leave it alone. So, you know, that's just one small example of how there's some confusion about how you use HSA accounts or how you, to best use HSA accounts. Um, but the HSA rules are fairly complex, and most people aren't really familiar with how they really work. So if you don't understand exactly how they work, you might um, leave a lot of money on the table, and you might even get hit with some penalties. So here are some uh, some HSA myths that you have to protect yourself from. Yeah, the first one is is uh, one of the myths is the deadline for contributions um, is the end of the year. And in reality, if you fund your HSA by having your employer deduct money from your paychecks, um, that withholding likely will end at the end of the calendar year. But you can also make contributions on your own up to the um, filing income tax filing deadline, which is typically April the 15th of the next year. Um, now you can't get an extension, um, you know, for that deadline if you extend your taxes. But April fifteenth for the previous year allows you to to put some money in uh, if you haven't fully funded it for twenty eighteen as an example. And this is especially helpful if you want to maximize your contributions. But in the second year, maybe you don't have access to a high deductible health insurance plan that qualifies you to contribute to an HSA. So April fifteenth of the following year is the deadline. Yeah, that's a good point. And your total HSA contributions for a particular year, including, you know, what comes out of your payroll deductions um, and your own contributions, are subject to a limit, of course. And for 2019, that limit is $3,500 for an individual and $7,000 for a family. Plus, there's an extra $1,000 catch-up provision for people 55 or older. Most people don't realize there's a Mm catch-up provision there, but there's an extra 1000 bucks if you're 55 or older. Um, and that limit includes contributions that you make by April 15th of the following year. So you can go all the way up, like you said, to April 15th. And contributions you make on your own rather than through the payroll per- deductions are subject to Medicare and Social Security taxes 
um, though not income taxes. As a as we mentioned, mm-hmm. it's tax deductible on the front end. It's an adjustment to your gross income. Uh, the next myth, though, is there's a deadline for when you can reimburse yourself from an HSA after you use your non-HSA money to pay for a medical expense. Um, the reality, though, is there is no deadline for taking reimbursements from an HSA. So as long as your HSA was opened when the health care expense was incurred, then you can use the HSA money to pay for that expense with pre-tax dollars um, even years later. You know, for example, um, if you have a $100 expense or if you just have $100 in your HSA when you require surgery that leads to $10,000 out-of-pocket cost, you can initially pay for that bill with non-tax savings, advantaged savings, and then you can make pre-tax contributions to your HSA months, even years later, and you can reimburse yourself for that expense, you know, 10 years later Mm -hmm. down the road. So it's very, very flexible. It's yeah, a great, that's a great tool. Yeah, that is great. I, I love the, the HSA. And another myth here is, is money in an HSA can be used to pay medical expenses only for someone who has a qualifying high deductible health plan. And, um, you know, you have to have a high deductible health plan to make a contribution to the HSA. But once the money is in the account, you can use it to pay not only, you know, your own medical expenses, but also the medical expenses of your spouse and your dependents even if they don't um, have a qualifying insurance plan. So you do have to have a plan to contribute, but when you pull it out, that's not the case. Yeah, that's exactly right. Another myth um, is that you're automatically eligible to fund a health savings account if you have a qualifying high-deductible medical plan. Um, That's sometimes true, but that's not automatically true. You know, in reality... Uh, you might not be eligible if you or your spouse have a flexible spending account as well, which similarly lets you contribute pre-tax money to be used for health care expenses, but only until a specific deadline. You know, even after this, the spouse's flexible spending account, uh, you know, typically will dis- even though it will typically disqualify you because money from one spouse's FSA, FSA flexible spending account can be used to pay for other medical expenses. Um, you know, that's, that's the issue there is you can, you can use it mm-hmm. between spouses. Right. Um, but the exception though, is you can have an, a flexible spending account and still fund an HSA. If the flexible spending account is the dependent is for dependent care, mm. not medical, yeah, not medical. Right. You know, cause an FSA can cover, uh, expenses such as child care and elder care, and not medical bills. It's kind of called a limited pur- purpose flexible spending account <clears throat> that covers only dental or vision um, or those types of expenses. So bottom line is, you know, be careful if you have a flexible spending account. You may not be eligible to use an HSA or fund an HSA as well. Yeah, another myth here is I can use my HSA to pay for health insurance premiums. And uh, the reality is usually that's not allowed. There are some exceptions, but HSA dollars can be used to pay health insurance premiums for yourself, your spouse, and or your dependents if the premiums are for someone that's receiving federal, state, unemployment benefits, or maybe um, continuation of COBRA, um, that would be allowed as well. And if you're over the uh, 65 or older, HSA money can cover premiums for Medicare and for long-term care insurance up to certain limits. So um, generally, you can't pay the, the premiums for most folks, but there are some exceptions. 
Yeah, long-term care insurance yeah. if you're over 65. So Great. that's that's a pretty good tool Yeah, as well. So a lot of flexibility there for sure. Um, just can't pay ordinary medical premiums. And then the other myth here, another myth is money you put in HSA will earn almost no interest. Um, and the reality is that's up to you. You know, I mean, you can, of course, have HSAs that are just in a bank account, um, credit unions. They earn little or no interest. But you instead, you can set up an HSA with a provider that lets you invest the money in all sorts of mutual funds. Um, for example, HSA administrators, health savings administrators, um, HSA bank, um, those are a couple of them that allow you to invest in mutual funds. Um, so investing your, your HSA dollars in stock mutual funds, of course, they carry some risk. You know, they'll be with the, it'll be in the stock market in some form or fashion. Um, so the value could fluctuate. It could be down whenever you need the money. So you have to take all that in consideration. But, you know, if you don't expect you'll need the money soon, it's a great way to invest it. Um, because you don't have to pay taxes on those gains, on those earnings, when you withdraw it. Um, so assuming withdrawals are for qualified medical expenses, then all that growth inside your HSA is going to be tax-free when you take it out. So that's a better tax break than even from a, 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 a regular IRA or a Roth IRA, because um, you get the best of both worlds. So, um, and if you're worried that you'll never need the money for health care costs, then stop worrying. A typical couple spends $280,000 hmm. of out-of-pocket medical expenses um, after age 65, according to Fidelity. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a big number. It's a big number. Yeah, and if your employer does not offer an HSA provider that includes investment options, you can open up an HSA that, with a provider that does periodically transfer money um, from one to the other. Should be no tax consequences as long as it's a direct transfer from one financial company to the other. And check with both HSA providers about you know potential transfer fees and transfer only maybe a couple times a year. Um, don't close the employer-selected HSA account, even if you don't like it. Many employers will deposit payroll deductions only if the HSAs, um, you know, that they have selected are, are open. So got to be careful with that one. That's right. And the last myth here is it's illegal to spend money from an HSA on non-health-related expenses. Well, I mean, the reality is it's not illegal. It just means that you may have to pay ordinary income tax on the money and potentially a 20% penalty um, on the money if you're taking it out before age 65. So you won't face that penalty, though, if you're over age 65. So that's good news. After 65, you can take the money out for any reason and just pay tax on the earnings, or, well, on, on all the money that comes out. Um, however, you know, as we just pointed out, you know, there's really no reason for you to have to take money out for non-medical related expenses because it is very flexible. It includes a lot of things like nursing home expenses, long-term care premiums, even eyeglasses, um, hearing aid. Those all qualify as tax-free expenditures in an HSA account. And, you know, you're going to have like $280,000 on average out-of-pocket mm -hmm. medical expenses after age 65. So just leave the money in there, let it grow tax-free, you will find a reason to spend it later on down the road, I can almost assure you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Thanks for that, that positive note there, Steve. That's right. So that's it for HSAs, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this um, has come up in the last uh, week or two about um, an inverted yield curve. What does that mean? 
Mm. Uh, stock market was really concerned about it last week, and I've got a question or two on it. And basically, an inverted yield curve means that the short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. And normally, if you think about it, short-term right. rates are, are lower, so it's kind of an upward-sloping type uh, you know, curve. And so when short-term rates are higher than, than long-term rates, historically, that's um, a signal of a recession. Yeah, um, so Poten- potential recession. Potential. Yeah. I mean, not, it hasn't happened a hundred percent of the time. It's anything. not. It's it's a it's a pretty high correlation, but it hasn't happened every single time. And and so the markets last week really took a big drop on Friday because of this inverted yield curve. And it, and that's just another you know data point. It's noise. Um, no one knows what's going to happen. Janet Yellen came out and said, "No, nah, she doesn't think it's going to be a recession. You know, the global economy is slowing." Um, but uh, inverted yield curve is a data point. To make decisions on these things is not wise. No, right? you, you definitely can't time it. They say, you know, there's a high correlation in the next two years. You may have a recession after an inverted yield curve. But even though, even with an inverted yield curve, it's only partially inverted. I mean, the 10-year yield did fall below the one-year yield just barely, you know, yeah. last week. Um, but the 30-year yield is still higher. The 20-year yield is still higher. So it's not a totally inverted curve. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, of, uh, of 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 confusion on that issue. It's not a black and white type issue. It's not. It's you not. can't read into that. There's really nothing black and white in in the stock market. No, you can't. There's, there's kind of there's not a signal or a sign that says buy now, sell now. It just doesn't work that way. So be diversified. Have a plan. When it drops, buy some. You know, when it goes back up, you know, you can do some rebalancing. So exactly, you got to think long term. Ignore, ignore all the noise and all the talking heads out there to say, "Oh, this means this." You know, it's a bad thing. You, you can't time that. You just have to be willing to ride that out and and be vested to your appropriate long term risk level and and look long term. That's right. So there you go. All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is. Uh, what keeps the middle class from becoming millionaires? Yeah, give us the answer, John. Yeah, this what is, is it? we got it, man. This is Chris Hogan. They did a great uh, study on this. And um, <clears throat> middle class millionaire, that's not a typo. It's not a myth or a fairy tale. Uh, it is a real thing. There are people out there that have done this. And despite what you've seen in the news or on social media, middle class people can build wealth and become millionaires. In fact, anyone can do it. And um, they have a lot of statistical information here to uh, to prove it. And, um, you know, they ha- there's a plan, and we'll get to the plan here in a minute, but it's surprising how most millionaires, you know, got there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they released a study here recently, um, you know, uh, the largest study ever, they say, on millionaires that was ever conducted, more than 10,000 people. And one of the things they discovered is that most millionaires – didn't grow up in wealthy families. You know, instead, eight out of 10 millionaires they surveyed say they came from families that were at or below middle class levels. So they really are middle class millionaires. You know, they just they just saved hard. Right. That's right. And so when you break that down, 48 um, percent of millionaires describe their parents house household that they grew up in as middle class. Twenty seven percent described it as lower middle class and four percent described it as lower class. Uh, So, you know, let those stats sink in. Half a millionaires come from middle class homes and one in four come from the lower middle class. And um, so the American dream is alive and available. You just have to work for it. And so, you know, they go through two examples here. Gentlemen grew up in the Midwest and in a dysfunctional family, had a lot of health issues in their family, mental health issues. This uh, guy went into a foster home as a child, 
Um, he did go to college in the 60s, graduated with a math degree, actually went to pursue his Ph.D. in math. And, um, you know, he spent his entire working career in uh, education, 37 years, and he retired with a net worth of two and a half million dollars as an educator. Wow. Wow. So I, that, a school teacher. That's right. So I don't he didn't go into a lot of other details, but, um, you know, he did well. Yeah. And they point that out here. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, did he. Did he have some new mathematical breakthrough that revolutionized education? You know, did he use his math skills to make a killing in Vegas? No. I mean, he made his millions slowly, steadily working in a job that he loved and designing a life that allowed him to build wealth on his own terms. You know, what was his secret? Well, he, he says that he stayed away from debt. He paid everything he bought with cash. And he worked extra hours. He made wise invested investments. Just you know, just plain stuff, Basic, right? Yeah. It wasn't sophisticated stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. And and so um, you know, some people say, hey, the economy is not good, you know, and so forth. And um, you know, that's an excuse, is what what he's saying. You can do this if you're listening to this. There's resources out there. We can help you. Ramsey folks have have a lot of resources. Another example here is a, a gentleman whose parents were dairy farmers. And his parents never got past the eighth grade, um, but they hated debt, and they taught their children to hate debt. And so this guy became the first family in his and uh, first person in his family to graduate college. He spent his entire thirty-five year career in insurance, and um, he uh, avoided debt, like we talked about, except for a mortgage. He saved when he got raises; he would increase his savings. When he got a bonus, he would save it. Um, you know, at age of 55, uh, he retired and had a net worth of about $4 million. Wow. <clears throat> so one of the key takeaways from this is, is it takes time. They're not talking about this happening in five years, 10 years, or 15. This is, you know, three to four to five decades. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible, really, you know, over $4 million. Yeah. So the question is, you know, how do you become a millionaire on any income level, at any income level? Um, so how can someone who didn't grow up in a wealthy family, you know, become a millionaire? You know, as the stories that, you know, he just well, we just talked about a couple examples, how they show us, you know, there's a very familiar pattern here. Um, the first one, though, is get out of debt. You know, I mean, think of debt as kind of the ball and chain around your neck. That's slowly going to choke you. It's going to, it's going to, you know, continually drag, be a drag on you and keep you from being successful in accumulating what you need for retirement. Um, so, you know, it's one of those visuals you just have to keep in your mind. Um, you have to get rid of debt. That's the bottom line. That, that is step number one for becoming a millionaire. Yeah. The second one is, is follow a budget. The research revealed that mil- millionaires stick pretty well to the budgets they create. And did you catch that? Millionaires budget their money. They also use coupons when they shop. In fact, the research found that 93% of net worth millionaires use coupons all or some of the time when shopping. Those are the the kind of people that, you know, it's on the it's at the top of mind. They're thinking about ways to save money. It's not an obsession for most of them. It's just a kind of a way of life. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to show a pattern of an attitude here, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they pay attention to where their money goes. And they're looking at the small things as well as the big things. You know, the big things are debt and, you know, big purchases of new cars and, you know, new 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 trucks and boats and things like that that obviously are a huge drag on you. But, but it's the attitude of looking at every single thing and evaluating 
whether this is a wise purchase or not, and how can I get this cheaper? How can I save some money? Um, but another thing they do, John, is they invest consistently. You know, millionaires they interviewed said that their company retirement plan was their number one contributor to their to them achieving a high net worth. Um, as their income increased, they they increased their monthly contributions to their retirement plan. So they invested month to month after month and year after year. And I think that's a great way of doing it. I think when you get a raise at work, you need to automatically increase the amount you're putting in your retirement plan. In fact, some retirement plans have it built in where you can set it up automatic increases mm-hmm. like every year, 1%. And I think that's a great tool to do and get you all the way up to 15%. And it doesn't say anything about timing the markets in here either. We see- No, it doesn't. You know, we can look at someone's balance and tell when they've timed the market because it comes in and it's usually really low or lower than it should be for their income level. So exactly. invest consistently. Uh, consistently. The other thing is- Stay focused for a long period of time. Here's the bottom line. Becoming a millionaire is a marathon. It's not a sprint. On average, their survey um, showed that participants hit the million-dollar mark at age 49. So if they started working right out of college, they kept saving, budgeting, and working towards their financial goals for almost three decades. And staying focused, that long takes discipline. Um, you know, the, and We know the steps aren't flashy. They don't grab headlines, but they work over time. And, um, you know, they know thousands, 10,000 of them, they say that they, it's worked for them. The process can work for you as well. So get connected. Uh, Dave Ramsey has a lot of good resources. You can certainly reach out to us as well, but, um, there is a good process to follow over a long period of time. Exactly. And you just have to have a plan, you know, retirement plan is a big piece of that because it gets you on, it gets the picture in your mind of what your number needs to be, right? How do you get to that? Yeah. How do you get to that level? And speaking of number, that leads us to our prescription Prescription. of the week. That's right. And, you know, there's 10,000 baby boomers retiring daily, Steve. And we see this. We have a lot of folks retiring in the area, and they always come in and say, can I retire? And, you know, it really boils down to, um, well, how much money do you need income-wise, right? And where's your income going to come from? Some of them are fortunate enough to have pensions. You build Social Security in there. And then the third piece of it is, are your investments? And you've got to match we can come up with a, a um, what the number is, but the net number has to match a budget number. Exactly. And when those two match, you can have a, you know a pretty good level of confidence that it's t- it's okay to retire. So the prescription of the week is to know your number. You know what number do you need to get to? And you know, for an example, if you needed an additional forty thousand dollars a year of income at retirement, okay, the kind of a, a standard rule of thumb for withdrawal rate is four percent, right? So if you need if you need $40,000 of income, how much is it going to take to generate that $40,000 at a 4% withdrawal rate? Well, it'll take a million dollars. That's exactly what you need then. You'll need a million dollars of retirement. So know your number, know where you need to get, do a simple retirement plan, and have that target in mind. That's your prescription of the week. Yep, that's good. All right, very good. Okay, well, that really leads us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.